When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Season greetings, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast, where we are dedicated to bringing you the best of horror and thriller old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. This is your host, Keith, aka The Radio Show Nerd, and I decided that I will be posting a bonus episode on Christmas. So next week, look for another new episode, as always, on Friday, which is Christmas Eve, as well as another episode on Christmas. It probably won't be an hour long, maybe just a half hour, 45 minutes, but it'll be my little Christmas gift to all of you who've been so supportive. So without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two programs featured tonight are... The Price of Fear and Creeps by Night. The Price of Fear was a late night horror mystery radio program that starred the awesome and, as I like to call him, the granddaddy of the macabre, Vincent Price. And it was broken down into three series. The first premiering in 1973, the second in 1975, and the last in 1983. It was produced by John Diaz, who was actually good friends with Mr. Price, as well as um, his third wife, Coral Brown, who was also featured on uh, a few episodes of um, Price of Fear. Now, the premise of the series was unique, being that some episodes were based on fictional adventures featuring Price himself, while in other episodes, he was just a narrator. Now, over the years, I should say decades, this series has become a fan favorite. If you search up and down the internet, you will find this series on a multitude of fan pages, forums, podcasts, the list goes on. The radio play tonight is an adaptation of A.M. Burgess' Waxwork. And it was first broadcasted on October 13th, 1973. So, you know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to Waxworks. Price of Fear, brought to you by Vincent Price. (laughs) 
browsing through a book of quotations the other day, I came across the old Scottish prayer to ward off evil spirits. You remember, from ghoulies and ghosties and long-leggedy beasties and things that go bump in the night. <laughs> well, isn't it strange how the coming of night can alter the whole shape, appearance, even the atmosphere of a house or a room? Sounds are different at night, too. Anyway, reading that old incantation, I was reminded of the tragic case of Raymond Hewson. It's an odd story, which I've called the waxwork. So let me tell you about it. Some years ago, I was working on a film in London. One evening, after we'd finished, I decided to take advantage of a little free time before a dinner engagement and to walk back to my hotel, exploring London as I did so. I'd been walking for about an hour when I came across an inviting-looking pub in an alley just off Baker Street. I went in and ordered a glass of beer and a sandwich. No sooner had I got my drink, enjoying the early evening atmosphere of the place, than I was surprised to hear someone calling my name. Vincent! I say, Vincent! Oh, good Lord, Raymond Hewson! <laughs> I haven't seen you for years. Well, that's right, not since, um... Oh, not, not, not since I, I did those extra bits of dialogue for that film. Yeah. Um, what was it called? Um, oh, dear. Uh, the Thing Without a Thing, or oh. some such name. Oh. <laughs> well, 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 I must say, it really is the most amazing coincidence running into tonight, of all nights. In fact, in a, in a way, uh, you might say it's providential. Raymond was a spare, pale man with lank brown hair, and although he spoke plausibly, even forcibly, he had the defensive and somewhat furtive air of a man used to being snubbed. He looked, in fact, exactly what he was, a man gifted somewhat above the ordinary, who was a failure through his own lack of self-assertion. He made a living as a freelance writer, and like most freelance writers, he was always hard up. Indeed, when he spoke of our meeting as being providential, I half expected that he was leading up to asking for a small loan. But that night, Raymond had other things on his mind. You see, I've, ar I've arranged to spend tonight, all night, <laughs> in the Chamber of Horrors at the Waxworks round the corner. I'm hoping to write a piece about it and, you know, get it published. Now, if I could work one or two observations from you into the story, it'd be a great selling point. Um, do you mind? Oh, no, not at all. Look, Vincent, I know you're very busy, but um, I wonder if you'd mind doing me a favour. Oh, anything, my dear chap, within reason. Well, all I want you to do is come with me to the waxworks and see me settled in. No, it won't take very long. It's only a few minutes' walk. Well, I do have a little time to spare, and I must confess that I, I find the idea rather interesting. Oh, good for you. Well, now, look here. Let me buy you a drink, and then we'll go round to the waxworks. Um, now, I have an appointment with the director, Miss Frayne, at half past seven, so we've just got time. You must realise, Mr. Hewson, that there's nothing new in your request. In fact, we have to refuse it to different people at least three times a week. What kind of people, I wonder, would want to spend all night alone in a waxworks? Oh, mostly foolish young men who've made bets or who are trying to prove something to themselves. Do you always refuse? We do, I'm afraid. You see, if some young idiot were to lose his senses, we should find ourselves in a most embarrassing position. Of course, in this case, your being a writer, Mr. Hewson, somewhat alters the situation. I suppose you mean that writers have no, no senses to lose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. 
but one imagines them to be responsible people. You can't know many writers, Miss Frayne. <laughs> and, of course, in your case, we have something to gain. Publicity. Publicity. Um, yes, well, uh, that brings me to another point. I think I know what's coming. Well, I have, in fact, already been in touch with our advertising manager, and he has agreed that in the event of your article being published in one of the national dailies, you will receive some payment from us. Raymond, how do you intend to treat this story? Well, to make it gruesome, of course. <laughs> um, well, gruesome, but with just a saving touch of humour. But I don't have to tell you anything about presenting horror with humour, Vincent. Well, perhaps not. I think I get the general idea. Well, Mr. Hewson, I wish you good luck with the story. But first, I must warn you that it is no small ordeal that you are about to attempt. And I confess that it's not something I should like to do. May I ask why? So difficult to explain. But I'll tell you what. Come along now and see for yourselves. But I warn you, Mr. Hewson, that if you are at all susceptible to atmosphere, you are in for a most uncomfortable night. Oh, that's all right. Newspaper editors never stop telling me I've no imagination whatsoever. <laughs> Although Raymond appeared to take the whole affair lightly, I knew him well enough to realise that he was not looking forward to the ordeal. He was obviously down on his luck, and I rather think he saw the whole thing as a last desperate gamble. These thoughts crossed my mind as we followed Miss Frayne through half a dozen rooms where attendants were busy shrouding the kings and queens of England and those others whose fame or notoriety had rendered them eligible for this kind of immortality. I've asked the porter to make you as comfortable as possible, but don't expect too much. I've also given instructions for the figures downstairs to remain uncovered. Through here, gentlemen, please. Oh, before I forget, I must ask you not to smoke. We had a fire scare here this afternoon. I don't know who raised the alarm, but whoever it was, it proved to be a false one. Mind your heads as we go downstairs. Miss Frayne led the way down an ill-lit stone stairway, which conveyed the sinister impression of giving access to a dungeon... On reaching the bottom, we passed along a small passage in which were displayed a few preliminary horrors, such as relics of the Spanish Inquisition and a pair of early English stocks. In turn, this corridor opened into a dimly lit room with a vaulted roof. It was, by design, an eerie and uncomfortable chamber, the very atmosphere of which invited its visitors to speak in whispers. The waxworks figures stood on low pedestals with numbered tickets at their feet. Seeing them elsewhere without knowing whom they represented, one would have thought them a dull, even a shabby-looking collection, but gathered together in that sinister room. Ooh. Well, here we are, gentlemen. Recent notoriety is rubbing shoulders with all the old favourites. Perhaps you recognise one or two of them. This, of course, is the famous Dr. Crippen. Insignificant little fellow, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Over there is Wilkinson, the strangler. And there you see a tableau depicting the murder of the two little princes in the Tower of London. It's a very dark Tower of London. Oh, yes. I'm sorry that I can't give you any more light, but that's all there is. For obvious reasons, we keep this place as murky as possible. Good Lord. Who's that over there? Oh, yes, I was coming to him. That's one of our star turns. A present-day murderer who has never paid the price for his crimes. 
The figure which Hewson had indicated was that of a small, slight man, not much more than five feet in height. It wore waxed moustaches, spectacles, and a voluminous cape. There was something so exaggeratedly French in its appearance that it reminded me of a stage caricature, something out of one of those delightful bedroom farces by Fedeux. I, I could not say precisely why that mild-looking face seemed so repellent, but I found myself instinctively taking a step backwards. Nasty-looking character, isn't it? <laughs> Who is it? That is Dr. Bordet. Bordet. I've heard that name recently, Bordet. I can't remember in what connection. You'd remember better if you were a Frenchman. For a long time, he was the terror of Paris. He carried on his work of healing by day and of throat-cutting by night. Oh, yes, I remember now. Wasn't it said that he killed people for the sheer devilish pleasure it gave him and always with a razor? That's right. After his last crime, he left behind a clue which set the police on his trail. In fact, they soon amassed enough evidence to send him to the madhouse or the guillotine on a dozen capital charges. But I, I thought you said... That he was never caught. Oh, he was caught all right and tried and convicted. But somehow he managed to escape and cheated the guillotine. One or two crimes of a similar nature have taken place in London quite recently. But then it's queer, isn't it, how every notorious murderer has imitators. Anyway, most of the experts believe that he is quite definitely dead. Well, I don't like him at all. <laughs> oh, those eyes. Whew. They seem to bite him, do you? Yes, don't they? This figure's a little masterpiece. It's excellent realism, really, for Bordet practised hypnotism and was supposed to mesmerise his victims before dispatching them. Oh, I see. I, I was wondering how so small a man could have managed to overcome his victims. Well, it was mesmerism. At least there was never any sign of a struggle. Do, do you know, I, I thought I saw him move. Oh, come on now, Raymond. No, he moved, I tell you. Oh. <laughs> oh, You'll have more than one optical illusion before the night's out, I expect, Mr. Houston. But remember, you won't be locked in. You can come upstairs whenever you've had enough of it. There are watchmen on the premises, so don't be surprised if you hear them moving. I've told them you're here, by the way. Raymond, you quite sure you want to go through with this? Of course. And I think it very mean of you not to have offered to stay with me. Oh, oh that wouldn't be fair, Mr. Hewson. You must be quite alone. Well, don't think I won't mention you in my story, Vincent. Though I may as well tell you that I shall feature heavily as the hero. <laughs> Raymond, I assure you that even if I didn't already have a dinner engagement, I should still be only too happy to let you stay here all night by yourself. This place gives me the creeps. Well, Mr. Houston, I'll wish you a very good night. And so do I, Raymond. A very good night and a successful story to celebrate tomorrow. Why don't you give me a ring, hmm? I'm at Jameson's Hotel in the Strand. Thanks, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Well, good night. Good night, Mr. Houston. Thanks for tucking me in. <laughs> and so we left him, and after a quick, and I must confess, welcome drink in Miss Frayne's office, I went back to my hotel to get changed for dinner. It must have been at about three o'clock the next morning that I received an urgent telephone call from Miss Frayne asking me to return to the waxworks immediately. And this is... How our night watchman found him. He thought he heard somebody scream and came down here to investigate and immediately rang me at my flat. And I'm afraid that when I found what had happened, I rather, well, panicked and rang you. 
You see, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't have his home number or anything. I understand. Have you notified the police? It's usual, you know, in cases of sudden death. I did think of it, sir, but I thought it better to ring Miss Frayne first. I could see at once it was uh, too late to call a doctor. I'm afraid I didn't think too clearly. Oh, how awful. This is the sort of thing we've always tried to avoid. What will the directors say? Well, there's time enough to let them know later. Have you any idea of how it could have happened? Not at all, sir. I just heard this scream like and came running. I noticed Raymond's notebook lying on the floor by the tape recorder, which had run out. I began idly turning over the pages, and what follows is my own interpretation of what happened from the time Miss Frayne and I had left him on that fatal evening. Why don't you give me a ring, hmm? I'm at Jameson's Hotel in the Strand. Oh, thanks. Yes, I'll do that. Well, good night. Good night, Mr. Houston. And thanks for tucking me in. <laughs> right, now, let's get organised. Now, let me see. Um, notebook. Pencils. Tape recorder. That's in working order. Flask. Yes, mustn't forget that. <laughs> oh, God, it's cold down here. I wish I brought a blanket. Now, now, rough notes first and then record. Yeah, should get a nice, creepy, atmospheric piece. Might even flog it to the BBC. Right. Um, the dim, unvarying light fell on the rows of figures, which were so uncannily like human beings. The air in the chamber was stagnant as the water at the bottom of a standing pond. <clears throat> good God, what's that? Oh, good evening, sir. Startling, did I? I'm very sorry. Uh, Miss Frayne asked me to bring down this chair for you. She thought it might be more comfortable than the one you've got, sir. Oh, God, you made me jump. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does get you like that down here, sir. <laughs> Creepy, that's what it is, sir. Creepy. Uh, now, sir, where would you like this chair? Over here by Dr. Mordet? Uh, no, no, not there. Um, no, just leave it over there in the gangway. I'll put it where I want it later. Oh, very good, sir. Uh, will this do? Yes, thank you. Well, sir, I'll wish you a good night. I'll be upstairs if you want me. Oh, and uh, by the way, sir, don't let any of them sneak up behind you, sir, and touch you with their clammy hands. <laughs> good night, sir. Stupid old fool to give me a heart attack. Now, where to put this damn chair? Um, by the little Frenchman? God, how those eyes dig into one. Now, I know, I know. I'll sit here with my back to him. Then I won't have to look at his face. Why not? I'm not afraid of him. Where am I? Come on, come on, Houston. Come on, come on, come on, old son. Your nerves have started playing tricks already. He's only a waxwork. They're all only waxworks. What was that? Something moved. Oh, come on, come on, this won't do. <clears throat> now, where was I? Yes, yes, stagnant as the water at the bottom of a standing pond. Yes, that's good. Now, uh, note here. Right. 
after a while, it seemed as if the figures moved when not being watched. But there was not a breath of air in the chamber to stir a curtain or to rustle a hanging drapery. There, good. Now it's fine. Now, clean it up and get this bit on tape. <coughs> the dim, unvarying light fell on the rows of figures, which... Hello, something moved again. I'd swear it. It's Crippen. Every time I take my eyes off him, he moves. Damn it, they all do. Oh, God, I better have a drink. Oh, Zane, it's not good enough. I'm going upstairs. I'm not going to spend the night with a lot of shifty, bloody dummies who move when you're not looking. Now, what's the time? Half past one. Oh, God, six more hours. I'll never do it. <coughs> what's that? It's Crippen again. I nearly caught him that time. You better be careful, Crippen. And all the rest of you. I'll smash you all to pieces. You hear? You hear me? Why don't I go? Why should I sit here scribbling when I can write all this up tomorrow? Oh, no. What's that? All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm Raymond Hewson, freelance writer. I've been here in this chamber of horrors for, what, a few hours. My nerves are beginning to play tricks on me. And that's all they are, tricks. Oh, I'm a living, breathing man, and all around me are statues. Dummies. They can't move, and they can't whisper. Neither can they breathe. But by God, one of them is. Somebody else in this room is breathing. You, Dr. Baudet, you moved. Yes, you did. Daniel, I saw you. Good evening, monsieur. I was right, you did move. Quite right, my dear friend. And now, let me get off this ridiculous... Platform. Don't come near me! Really, Mr. Yusson, let us not be uh, melodramatic, huh? Ah! Oh, that's better. One gets so stiff standing in the same position all the time. I need hardly tell you that I never expected to have the pleasure of a companion here for the night. Oh, what the devil are you? My dear sir... I have no illusions. <laughs> I'm not one of these contemptible effigies miraculously come to life. I am Dr. Baudet himself. But I, I don't understand. 
how, how do come I to... come to be here? Let me explain. You see, for some time now, I've been living quietly in England. Well, late this afternoon, as I was passing this building, I saw a policeman regarding me uh, somewhat too closely. So I uh, mingled with the crowd and came in here. And when I entered this chamber, I uh, saw at once my means of escape from the so inquisitive policeman. I don't understand. Ah, you have no imagination at all, sir. It was so simple. I raised a cry of fire, stripped my effigy of the cape, hid it, and simply took its place on the platform. Et voilà. But you must have been there for hours. Didn't anyone notice you? One small boy only. He screamed and said that he saw me moving. I understood that his parents threatened to give him a good hiding on his return home. I can only hope that the threat has been executed to the letter. So you really are, Dr. Bourdet. What a scoop. A scoop? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> well, we shall see. And I think I nearly packed up and went. Fancy missing this. What a story. Dr. Bourdet. The French dragged the ripper. A slight exaggeration. But why do it? Why commit these awful murders? Ah, you see, the world is divided into two classes. The collectors and the non-collectors. The collectors collect anything according to their individual tastes. I collect throats. No, no, do not attempt to move. It is useless. You cannot move unless I say so. Ah, but, but my notes, I must get all this done. And I'll, I'll never have another chance like this. <laughs> exactly. You have given me the opportunity of gratifying my uh, somewhat unusual whim. No, no. <clears throat> You, you, just hold on a minute. Ah, oh, but you have a skinny neck, sir. If you will overlook such a personal way. Now, now you, you look here, Dr. Bloody Bordet. If you think I you can... never have selected you from choice. Oh, I like thick necks. Thick, red, meaty necks. Uh, but enough talking. Enough talking? I haven't even started yet. I'm not alone here, you know. I've only got to shout, and the watchman will come running. And where will you be then? Uh, this is a little French razor. The blade, you observe, is very no, no, look, look, narrow. Look, 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 look. Look, uh, uh, <clears throat> look, I promise not to say a word about you being here and not to use the story until... Does the razor suit you, sir? Well, we shall see. Look, I, I, I won't use a damn story at all. No, sir. Your appeals are useless. You are now completely no, no, under my control. You cannot even speak unless I tell you to do so. Now, you will please have the goodness to uh, raise your chin a little. Huh? Uh, uh, 
Thank you. Oh, uh, just a fraction more. Uh, ah. <laughs> Merci, monsieur. Merci. That is... Poor Raymond. When I had finished reading his notes, I turned my attention to the tape recorder. Of course, the batteries had run flat hours ago, but the ever-obliging Raymond had brought along his own replacements, which were lying conveniently at his feet, unused. Carefully, I rewound the tape and switched the machine over to playback. Standing there in silence, the three of us listened as the tape played, hoping perhaps to find the answer to Raymond's sudden death. When it had finished, we stood there looking at each other, puzzled. Then I rewound the last few moments of the tape and played it again. And only then did I understand. Now, you, you, you look here, Dr. Bloody Bordet. If you think... Enough talking, I haven't even started yet. I'm not alone here, you know. I've only got to shout, and the watchman will come running. Where will you be then? Look, look here, look. Uh, <clears throat> look, I, I promise not to say a word about you being here, and, 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 and not to use a story until... Look, I, I, I won't use a damn story at all. <laughs> the waxwork figures stood apathetically in their places waiting to be admired by the crowds who would soon wander fearfully among them. In their midst, in the center gangway, Raymond Hewson sat still, leaning far back in his armchair. His chin was tilted up, as if he were waiting to receive attention from a barber, and although there was not a scratch upon his throat, he was cold and dead. His previous employers had been wrong in crediting him with no imagination. If anything, he had an overabundance of that particular commodity. As I left that sinister chamber, I glanced back. Dr. Bourdet, on his pedestal, watched the dead man unemotionally. He did not move, nor was he capable of motion, but then, after all, he was only a waxwork. One thing, however, still troubles me, that laughter on the tape. Of course, it could have been on the tape already. It has since, I confess, crossed my mind that perhaps Miss Frayne had added it, hoping for extra publicity. Perhaps I thought that was why she had not called the police at once. But these thoughts I dismissed as being both ungallant and impractical. But what else could explain it? The alternative is too awful to think of. Could it really have been the waxworks, those vacant, staring effigies laughing at the fate of Raymond Hewson? Could it? I wonder. Well, good night. Sleep well.
That was Vincent Price bringing you The Price of Fear. Also starring in the waxwork was Peter Barkworth with Cyril Shapps, Joan Cooper and Christopher Bidmead. The waxwork was first recounted by A.M. Burridge, dramatised by Barry Campbell and produced by John Dias. This, to me, had to be one of the better and much more creative adaptations of the short story, Waxwork. And although Mr. Price wasn't the main focus of the piece, it was still well-crafted and extremely well-acted. Now, our next program to be featured is a short-lived horror anthology radio program entitled Creeps by Night, which debuted on the Blue Network on February 15, 1944, and concluded on August 15, 1944. It was produced by Robert Maxwell, who was well known for producing the radio and television series of The Adventures of Superman, as well as Lassie. Now, when the series first debuted, actor Boris Karloff was the original host and narrator, but when it moved from the West Coast to New York, he was replaced by a new host, who was only known as Dr. X, and he made his debut on May 23rd, 1944. Now, the actor who played Dr. X was never identified to the audience. The radio play tonight is called The Strange Burial of Alexander Jordan, and it was first broadcasted on May 23rd, 1944. So sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to The Strange Burial of Alexander Jordan. We bring you Creeps by Night. Once again, we introduce the man who has agreed to serve as your guide and companion on these sometimes terrifying pilgrimages into the world beyond the realm of human understanding. The man who, for reasons that cannot be presently explained, must keep his identity a secret. Creeps by night brings you its anonymous master of mystery, Dr. X. Good evening. This is Dr. X, joining with you for further research into the shadowy darkness of the unexplored, the darkness of the human mind. I wish first, however, to thank you for your letters commenting on last week's broadcast, The Walking Dead. Many of you requested that I reveal my identity, and a few of you hazarded a guess as to who I am. In due time, perhaps, I will be able to step out from under my cloak of mystery. But for the present, I ask you to bear with me 
since I shall have to be known only as Dr. X. Tonight I have a rare treat in store for you. Mr. Edmund Gwen, the celebrated English actor, is our guest. The story I have chosen is drawn from the casebook of medical science and concerns itself with the often ghastly power of fear. Yes, we are all slaves to fear in one form or another. But the fear that forms the basis for our dramatization tonight is undoubtedly the most horrible of them all. It is the fear of... But wait. Let me draw aside the curtain and bring you Mr. Edmund Gwen as Ramsey in The Strange Burial of Alexander Jordan. For more than a century, the old Jordan house has stood on a gentle slope, mistress of the surrounding 400 acres of birch woods and pasture lands. And now, inevitably, death seems near to the last of the strong men who have always owned it. Aged, irascible Alexander Jordan. In his faded, musty bedroom, the shades are drawn against the hot morning sun. And in the half-darkness, his pale, hollow cheeks blend into the color of the pillowcase. He stirs as the door opens and his doctor enters. That you, Rutledge? Yes. Come in and sit down. Close the door. The trouble, Alex. Had one of my cataleptic fits last night. A bad one. I'm going to die pretty soon, Rutledge. But suppose you let me do the guessing. Don't interrupt. I'm not afraid to die, mind you. I've never told anyone this, but my greatest fear is that it won't be death. And they'll bury me alive. Oh, I think we can be pretty sure if it comes to that. Don't be so positive. Thirty-eight years ago, a young butcher who called himself a doctor pronounced me dead when I had a cataleptic fit. He got me buried, too, if I hadn't come out of it on time. That was thirty-eight years ago. Could happen again. Rutledge, I don't care if I sound like an old fool. All my life, that scared me. The idea of somebody mistaking one of those fits for death. The only nightmares I ever have, I wake up in a coffin... I put my hands up and I feel the lid there. Sometimes it's wood, sometimes it's cold glass. But there's no room to turn around. I put my hands down and I can feel the silk lining. They have me dressed in a swallowtail. They have a stiff collar on me. I reach up to tear it away. I can't breathe. I have to have air. Panic grips me. I try to shout, but no one can hear me. I beat on the coffin leg with my fists. I try to break the glass, but I can't do it. I haven't enough room. And pretty soon I know that I'm dying. Really dying. In the cold horror of the grave. Because somebody mistook one of my cataleptic fits for death. I don't want that to happen, Rutledge. And that's why I called you. Oh, you're just getting worked up over nothing, Alex. Listen to me. When the day comes and my nephew, Ramsey, or his wife, Martha, calls you, I want nobody but you to come, Rutledge. I don't want any other doctor to pronounce me dead. Is that clear? Don't worry. I want you to go over me very carefully. If you are absolutely satisfied that I'm dead, you can go ahead with the funeral. But I don't want my body embalmed. 
I don't want anything done to me except to put me in a coffin. I'm getting a lawyer here to write all this down this afternoon, Rutledge. But I wanted you to hear it too. I want my coffin put in the vault down by the birch woods. That's why I built the vault right on this property, so that nobody would ever bury me underground. It's all right. It'll be done just as you say. Now, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm finished. This is the most important part. I want a large brass bell placed on the wall over the bed where Ramsay and Martha sleep. I want wires connected from that bell to the vault. Electric wires. What for? I want a push button attached to the ends of those wires, and I want the button placed in my hands as I lie in the coffin, so that in case I'm not dead, in case I awaken, I can ring the bell and let them know. Well, I must say, Alex... I don't care what you say. I don't care what anyone says. That's the way I want it. All right, Alex. That's the way you'll get it. Yeah. Make sure I do. Well, I've got to run over to the Pritchards. Norris having another baby. Taking that digitalis faithfully? Yeah. Foolishness. But I'm taking it. That's good. Goodbye, Alex. Get out and soak up some of that sunshine. I'll see you Thursday. Send Martha in. Long. All right. Just a minute there. Dr. Rutledge. Oh. Hello, Ramsey. I'd like to know why you came this morning, Doctor. I came because I was sent for. Why doesn't somebody tell me when the doctor's been sent for? Is my uncle all right? He's not dead, if that's what you want to know. Not quite yet. Mm. See that he keeps on taking that prescription I left. He wants to see your wife. Alone. Martha? You heard me. Goodbye, Ramsey. I know the way out without your help. Goodbye, Dr. Rutledge. Mother, wipe your hands. He wants to see you. What did you say, dear? I said wipe your hands. He wants to see you. Is the doctor still in there? Is he all right? The doctor's gone. He wants you in there. Alone. Oh, for goodness sake. Now what? Just a minute. Why is he asking to see you alone? Why, Ramsey? How should I know? Something's up. Rutledge was in there a long time. Why wasn't I told he was sent for? Why, he... Well, you were in the field this morning when he asked me to call the doctor. Next time you tell me when he sends for people. And listen, when you get in there, watch what you say. Why, Ramsey, I don't know what you mean. You know very well what I mean. Just listen. And don't babble. He mightn't like my ideas about what to do with this place after he's dead. Go on in there now. You've already wiped your hands six times. Yes, Ramsey, dear. You want me, Uncle Alex? Yes, come in and shut the door, Martha. Yes, Uncle Alex. Was the coffee all right this morning? Yes, fine. Miss Ramsey. He's the, He's in the kitchen. Sit down, Martha. Yes, Uncle Alex. I want to talk to you, Martha. Lawyer Gaines will be here sometime this afternoon to fix up my will. Oh, Uncle Alex. I've got a feeling my time is drawing near, Martha. 
And I just want to make sure that worthless nephew of mine doesn't get his hands on the Jordan place. I never made you marry him, Martha. Why, I... I... Oh, never mind. None of my business. But I could have told you he was no good. Never has been. I wouldn't trust him with the farm. He'd sell it before my body turned cold. But I trust you, Martha. Thank you, Uncle Atlas. Yes, I've thought it all over. I'm going to leave the place to you. At least you'll have a roof over your head and some land you can call your own. You like it here, don't you? Oh, yes, I do. I'd be perfectly happy to stay here the rest of my life. Well, that's fine, because it's going to be yours, all of it. Oh, Uncle Atlas, you make me want to cry. No, no, none of that. I'm sorry. There's one more thing, Martha. One important thing. Yes, Uncle Alec. I've given Dr. Rutledge some very careful instructions about my burial. Oh, please, Uncle Alec. Nothing to be afraid of, Martha. When it comes, it'll come, and that's all. Rutledge knows what to do. He'll tell you. And I want you to promise me that you'll follow the instructions. Yes, of course, Uncle Alec. On my word of honor. As God is my witness. Thank you, Martha. Well, by Jove, you've made me feel a good deal better knowing I have someone around I can trust. Matter of fact, I think I'll get up for supper tonight. Tell Ramsey to come in and help me dress after Lawyer Gaines leaves. Tell him I don't want him in here before then. Yes, Uncle Alex. And uh, don't breathe a word about this to Ramsey. I won't. If you need anything, Uncle Alex, call me. Yes, I will. Oh, what did the old buzzard want? His lawyer's coming this afternoon. You're to go in and help him dress after the lawyer leaves. He's having supper at the table? Yes. Bring in one of the special hams. I'll bake it with pineapple. Did you take your ten minutes in there to decide on baked ham with pineapple for supper? What we decided is none of your business. What do you mean, what you decided? I said it was none of your business. Better get out and feed the chickens. When did you start giving me orders? Oh, go on out of my kitchen. I've got work to do. What did you talk about in there? Randy! You're hurting my arm. I'll hurt more than that before I'm through. What's the lawyer coming for? Would you like me to tell him you haven't fed chickens yet? Something suddenly made you awfully cocky, it seems to me. Tell me what it is. Right now. Ramsey. Tell me, I said. Ramsey. Let go of her, Ramsey. Oh. I was only... Get out of the house before I lose my temper. Go on, kid. I'm going. This ever happens again, Martha, you let me know. Yes, Uncle Alex, but you shouldn't have gotten out of bed this way. Oh, don't worry about me, Martha. I'm all right. for his breakfast. And why not? Did you fix the fence post over on the west pasture? Never mind the fence post. Give me that tray. You tend to your own business. I'll take the tray into him. Your breakfast, Uncle Alec? Hmm. That's funny. 
Uncle Alex. Uncle Alex. Oh, my Lord. Brandy. Oh, Dr. Rutledge. Brandy. and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he have everlasting life. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. What's the matter with Martha, Doctor? The funeral was evidently too much for her. Oh, I gave her a sedative and put her to bed upstairs. Where's the undertaker? Down at the vault with the electrician. They're waiting for you so we can close the coffin. Of all the stupid things, he's dead, isn't he? Yes, but we're observing his wishes to the letter. Brass bells and electric push buttons rot. Perhaps it is, but that's how he wanted it. And incidentally, as administrator of the estate... Let me remind you that according to the terms of the will, either you or Martha must remain within earshot of that bell upstairs for seven days. You understand that? Yes, to my life. I'm beholden to a woman. That. You could do worse, Ramsey. <laughs> this is a nice place. I wish it were mine. If I had my way, you could bite in a minute. Well, that's neither here nor there. See that Martha gets some rest. I left a bottle of medicine on the small table beside the bed. She's to take it according to directions if she has trouble sleeping. Lord, what's that? Your uncle wanted a bell loud enough to be heard. He certainly got it. Doctor. He... <laughs> the undertaker or the electrician at the crypt touched the push button. Dandy! Dandy! Good Lord, I forgot. The bell hung right above the bed where she was asleep. Come on. Oh, Dandy! Dr. Rutledge, the bell! Oh, it doesn't mean anything, Martha. Don't be frightened. Oh, thank goodness. I was asleep. It hit me like a blow when it rang. For a moment, I couldn't even move. I felt paralyzed like in a dream. There, there, that's all right. Go on back to bed. You fall asleep again with the stuff I gave you. The bell won't ring anymore. I'll go right on down to the vault and see if the coffin's closed. Get her back into bed, Ramsey, and let her have another teaspoonful of that medicine tonight. You just get over to the vault and stop there monkeying. I'll tend to her. See that you do. And remember, don't leave this place for seven days. Ramsey, and you know it. It's just that you're nervous and not sleeping. I'll drive into town. No, Ramsey. 
We've still got five days to go. I will not sell it. I'm not getting any younger. I want a roof over my head. That's what Uncle Alex intended. But now's the time to sell farms. We can get a good price. To begin with, Ramsey, it doesn't even belong to me. Well, it will in two more days, won't it? Yes. If that bell doesn't ring. may be fatal. Overdosing may be fatal, eh? So good. We'll see about that. Maximum dose, one teaspoonful. I could put three in her coffee tomorrow morning. She'd never know the difference. That stale coffee's bitter as gall anywhere, and that it fits everything. Yes, I'm her only relative. If she dies, I get the place. Oh, why didn't I think of this before? Why did I wait six days and nights with that bell hanging over my head? Why did I? Oh, good Lord. Am I dreaming? No, no, it can't be. It can't. Stop. Stop that ringing. Fancy. Fancy. The bell. I can hear it, you fool. Quick. Stay where you are. I'll stop it. Randy, 
did you do? What do you think I did? The wires. You pulled out the wires. Get back in the bed. Are you out of your mind? The key to the vault. Where is it? What? The key. Uncle Alex must be You're alive. crazy. He rang the bell, didn't he? You were dreaming. Get back to bed. Give me that vault key, Randy. Give it to me. Now, take it easy. Don't stand there telling me to take it easy. Uncle Alex may be fighting for breath. Breathing against the coffin. Get the key. All right, all right. I'll go down there. I'll go with you. Doesn't need two people. Just let me get into my clothes. I don't trust you, Randy. You've got no right to say a thing like that, Martha. What difference does it make to me whether Alex is alive or dead? I don't stand against anything. He left the Jordan place to you. Oh, now where did I put that key? Must be in this drawer. Hurry, Randy. I'm hurrying. There, here it is. You took something else out of that drawer, Randy. I did not. Just the key. What's the matter with you, anyway? Where are my shoes? Under the bed. I'll be watching you from the window, Randy. If Uncle Alex is alive, yell to me. And I'll phone Dr. Rutledge. There's a storm coming up. That wind's from the east. Now, let's see if this key fits. It's all right, but, but it won't turn. Ah, there we are. Now, where's that light switch? Here it is. Yeah, that's better. Oh, it's foul in here. It smells dead. There's the coffin. Hope they didn't screw down the lid. No. No, it comes right up. Yeah. He hasn't moved. He's dead. Yes, just the way he was when they put him in there. With his hands folded over the bow button. He didn't ring that bell. Who did? Now I know. The storm. Lightning shorted the wire. Sure, that's what it was. It must have been. Still, I... I think I'd better make sure while I'm down here. Yes. <laughs> Martha almost caught me taking this darning needle out of the drawer. I'll work it under his shirt and jab it through his heart. You're going to stay dead, Uncle Alex, no matter what happens. Sandy! Martha! You followed me. I told you I didn't trust you. What are you doing with that darning needle in your hand? Nothing. Get out of the way. Let me look at him. Dead. Stone dead. Who rang the bell? Well, how did I know? Maybe his ghost. You were about to do something with that needle. What? You really want to know? All right. I'll tell you. I was going to jab it through his black heart. I was going to make sure he was dead. And I'm still going to do it. Randy, you're out of your mind. Am I? We'll see. Keep away from that coffin. Shut up. I'll scream, Randy. The questions will hear me. No, you won't. Yes, I will. Help! Help! Oh, so that's how it is. Wait till I close this door. Now, scream your lungs out. Randy, don't do anything you'll regret. Regret? Why waste this needle on old dead Alex? I might do much better using it on you. 
get, get into your heart. Randy! Why not? Then I get to own the place and sell it. Randy! Listen to me. I listened to you plenty these last few weeks. Ever since he made you the high and mighty boss. But now, it's my turn. Randy! I'll never find you down here. No! No, you'll dry up and rot. Just like he's rotting in that coffin. Randy! No! Fainted before I could touch her. Wait a minute. That gives me an idea. There's a better way of doing it. Carry her up to the house. Pour that medicine down her throat. Give her an overdose. She'll be dead by morning. And no one can put it on me. Oh, this is beautiful. Everything's working out fine. You're going to be rich, Ramsey. You're rich. Get the door open first, and then... Lord, the key's on the outside. And it's a snap lock. No! No! Oh, what am I going to do? I'm locked in here. I can't get out. The door's solid open. Six inches thick. There are no windows. No air. Yes. Sooner or later, someone will hear it. Yeah. Yeah, this should do it. The Christians or the MacArthur, they're bound to do it and investigate. I'll keep bringing it all night. I'll... I'll... Oh, wires. Wires in the bedroom. I ripped them out. The bell... won't ring. Look out! A trap! A trap in here! A trap! Trap! That was the strange burial of Alexander Jordan. Starring Mr. Edmund Gwen. For our next exploration into the darkness of the human mind, I have invited the celebrated exponent of the Mysterioso, Peter Laura, to be our guest. So join with us when once again we raise the shadowy curtain of the unknown and look deep into the souls of men. Until then, this is your master of mystery, Dr. X. Leaving you with creeps by night. Creeps by Night is produced by Robert Maxwell. Original music composed by Paul Creston, conducted by Joseph Stopak. Supporting Mr. Gwen in tonight's presentation were Everett Sloan as Alexander Jordan, Abby Lewis as Martha, Gregory Morton as Dr. Rutledge, and Dr. X as himself. Edmund Gwen appeared to the courtesy of Metro-Golden-Mayer, whose 20-year anniversary picture, The White Cliffs of Dover, is currently being released. George Gunn, speaking. This is the Blue Network. Hey, 
that's our show for this evening. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can always find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970. Or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd. Or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1. Again, this is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, signing off.